Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Before Coffee. We're here on Friday, it's the end of the week, and all my news stories are kind of serious, but also not that serious. So, great way to end the week. (laughs) Things are happening in countries in Europe, and it may develop into something and it may not. We'll see what happens. Either way... Let's go on with the news headlines. Mr. Levins. Today Friday on... News Dump. Yeah, News Dump. News Dump. Friday News Dump. Today on Before Coffee. A lack of respect. Catalonian nudist campaign against clothed tourists. The Federalist Society says Trump is already disqualified to be to hold office. Who is the Federalist Society? Well, let's look into it. Cyprus authorities appeal against ruling that allowed David Hunter to walk free. And in worse Supreme Court news, Clarence Thomas loves to go on vacation. Sweden criticized over a plan to build at least 10 new nuclear reactors. And tensions rise in Niger, and we update the Hawaiian wildfires today on August 11th, 2023 edition of Before Coffee. Okay, first news story. This is about Catalonian nudists. Now, this story really uh, drew my attention as a a nudist myself, not to share too much. Uh, I don't see why you need to wear clothes to the the beach. Sure, it sucks to get sand everywhere, but let's be honest, you're going to be in the water most of the time. So why are we wearing clothes? And these damn tourists in Catalonia are trying to force people to wear clothes because it makes them uncomfortable. Well, then go somewhere else. That's what I say. <laughs> don't go to freaking a country that you don't want to uh, experience a different culture from. This is from Ashifa Kassam in Madrid. It was on a sun-kissed stretch of beach in Catalonia that Tejimon Rovira began to feel self-conscious. For as long as the 56-year-old could remember, the area's turquoise waters had primarily been frequented by nudists. Now, he was painfully aware of being surrounded by sunbathers in their swimsuits. That's that's awful. The tan lines. I'm gonna get a, I'm gonna get a tan, but I want to make sure I have my T-shirt on, so that my whole torso is still white, but the rest of my body is a different color. Before people would arrive at a nude beach and either leave or strip down, said Rivera. Now they stay and keep their swimsuits on. But what they don't realize is that if there are a lot of them, they end up making us uncomfortable. It's a lack of respect. Yeah, suddenly you're like, wait, am I on the wrong beach? I thought this was a nudist beach. Nope, we've decided to make it a clothes beach because we're all wearing clothes. Now Rivera and other naturists in Catalonia are fighting back with a campaign aimed at protecting the decades-long tradition associated with 50 or so of the region's beaches. Nudism is not banned in Spain. You can do it on any beach, said Rovira, who leads the Naturist Nudist Federation of Catalonia. But so as not to bother people, we prefer to go to beaches that have traditionally been nudist and where most people are naked. We want people to respect this. Recently, the association sent a letter to the Catalan government asking for a meeting to address what is described as the discrimination that nudists face on the beaches of Catalonia. The collective has already started mulling 
potential requests from beefed up signage for nude beaches to public awareness campaigns that could help foster respect for naturism. They have yet to receive a response. At the heart of what is the local media called the textile invasion is the boom in tourism and the explosion on social media. As ever-growing trove of blogs and travel guides buy to lead sun seekers off the beaten path, they've highlighted the region's most pristine and hidden beaches, often leaving out their long-standing ties to nudism. Other times, beachers themselves have chosen to overlook these ties, trapezing past the signs that read Nudist Beach in order to secure a spot on the Golden Sands. We've lot a bit of civility, said Rivera. Isn't that kind of funny? Right? People consider being naked not very civil like in some cultures and they're like no it's civil to be naked at nude beach that's why it's called a nude beach to be naked we live in a society the result threatens to steadily erode naturism there are nudists who have stopped going to some beaches because they're too crowded and there are too many people wearing swimsuits and they feel uncomfortable he said Others have chosen to remain closed, dissuaded by the throngs of smartphone-wielding visitors eager to share the beautiful backdrop with their online followers, said Rivera. People that are naked don't want to end up with their photos on social media. Some nudists have persevered, only to find themselves the focus of giggles, prolonged stares, and at times, disparaging remarks. Unfortunately, the women are usually more stared at or harassed, said Rivera, so they are discriminated against twice over for being nudists and for being women is that the campaign will help ensure that certain beaches remain safe spaces for naturists and help to keep the tradition going. Starting to practice naturism when you're surrounded by people in clothing is very complicated, said Rivera. That's why we think it's important to have nudist spaces where the majority of people are nude so that people are encouraged to try it. The message of the crux is at the crux of a video recently published by his association that depicts two tourists who stumble across a nudist beach and soon go from gawking to stripping down. The video seeks to capture the pair's journey as they come to embrace the enthusiasm enthusiasts say nudism offers. We do it for the feeling of freedom, said Rovira. There's no comparison between swimming in the nude and in swimwear. You're more free, more calm, and relaxed. So, I agree wholeheartedly with this guy. Don't let the freaking closists, the textile invasion, stop people from going swimming naked. Come on. It's yeah, not just for nighttime runaway teenagers, you know, when they nope. sneak into a swimming pool in their local neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, who wants some ugly tan lines anyway? Yeah. Nah, it's, uh, it's more healthy to have a one continuous ultraviolet tan <laughs> than it is to have spotty one. I don't know. Yeah, well, I guess you could get sun. you could get sun cancer in the places where... You overexpose yourself, I guess. Nah, there's places that just sun shouldn't shine, shouldn't shouldn't shine, shouldn't shine. Can't talk yet. Toy boat, toy boat, toy boat, toy boat. <laughs> toy boat. All right. Is that it? This story. Yep, that's your next story. Well, all right, man. Our least story is nakedness. And now on to. Naked criminals, and we're gonna discuss Donald Trump again, which we tend to avoid on this when there's actual news. But this, I think, does qualify as two law professors active in the federal society wrote that the original meaning of the 14th Amendment makes Donald Trump ineligible to hold government office. This is from the New York Times, Adam Liptak. 
boy, I hate a lip tack, you know? It just goes right in your lip. Ouch. That's t- uh, just horrible, lip tack. I'm sorry, making fun of his name. That's very childish. Too prominent, co- but it's Friday. It's Friday, make fun of people's name day. Two prominent conservative law professors have concluded that Donald J. Trump is ineligible to be president under a, conserv- under a provision of the Constitution that bars people who have engaged in an insurrection from holding government office. Professors are active members of the Federal Society, the conservative legal group, and proponents of originalism, the method of interpretation that seeks to determine the Constitution's original meaning. The professors William Baud of the University of Chicago and Michael Stokes Paulson of the University of St. Thomas are studied the question for more than the. I want to go to the University of St. Thomas. <laughs> I'm sure, they'll accept you. You already have a degree, right? So. Yeah, I'm sure it'll take me in whatever surfing, whatever the degree is. <laughs> studied the question for more than a year and detailed their findings in a long article to be published the next year in the Bird University of Pennsylvania Law Review. So it's not going to be published till January, but we're going to hear about it now. I think it's more timely in January, perhaps, because this trial is going to start, probably. Yeah. When we started out, neither of us was sure what the answer was, Professor Baud said. Probably we were talking about the provision of the Constitution. We thought, we're constitutional scholars, and this is an important constitutional question. We ought to figure out what's really going on here. And and the more we dug into it, the more we realized that we had something to add. This is the simplest question in the world, by the way, and they're acting like it's a well-researched thing. He summarized the article conclusion, Donald Trump cannot be president, cannot run for president, cannot become president, cannot hold office unless two-thirds of Congress decides to grant him amnesty for his conduct on January 6th. A Law Review article will not, of course, change the reality that Trump is the Republican frontrunner, blah, 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 but the scope of the depth of the article may encourage undergrid lawsuits from other candidates and ordinary voters, arguing that the Constitution makes him ineligible for office. There are many ways that this could become a lawsuit presenting a vital constitutional issue that was potentially the Supreme Court want to hear and decide, Professor Paulson said. Mr. Trump has already been indicted twice in federal court in connection with his efforts over during the 2020 election and the retention of classified documents. He's also facing charges related to hush money payments in New York and may soon be indicted in Georgia in a second election case. But even if he's not found eligible in other states, he could be ineligible in Georgia. Which, uh, as a side note, there's a was a New, New Mexico person already found guilty of insurrection in the state of New Mexico and he's been made ineligible for life to hold office and that was a couple years ago already so these people that are suing have already acted and I guarantee you they're going to sue based on this abundant evidence as they say there is an article said abundant evidence that Mr. Trump engaged in an insurrection including by setting out to overturn the result of the 2020 presidential election, trying to alter vote counts by fraud and intimidation, incurring bogus states, slates of, sorry, of competing electors, pressuring your vice president to violate the constitution, calling for a march in the Capitol and remaining silent for hours during the attack on its, the attack itself. It is unquestionably to say that Trump engaged in the January 6th insurrection through both his actions and his inaction, the article said, Stephen Calabresi, a law professor at Northwestern and Yale, founder of the Federal Society 
called the article a tour de force. But James Bop Jr., James Bop Jr., his name is James Bop, Bop, B-O-P-P, Bop, who has represented House members as whose candidates were challenged under position and said the authors have adopted a ridiculous broad view of it. No, they haven't. Added that the article's analysis is completely anti-historical. When people use the word like completely in an argument, they're they're arguing an absolute. And you, when you argue an absolute, you better have evidence to make sure that absolutely there's no exceptions. And when you say completely in your argument, you've lost the argument. Sorry. Mr. Bob's clients had mixed success in cases brought under the provision. A state judge assuming that the January 6th were attacks were insurrection and that the participating in them candidates from the office ruled that Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene had not taken part in the attacks, which is, I guess, you know, she wasn't physically, she, was, she wasn't physically in Congress at the time. I think we just hadn't even been elected yet. But, yeah. And we want to get to the bottom of who the Federal Society is, you asked. And I promise to tell you who the Federal Society is. The Federal Society is founded in 1982. The students of Yale Law School, Harvard Law School, and University of Chicago Law, the Federal Society begins a student organization that's called to challenge the liberal ideology of American law schools. And blah, 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 blah. Though, not that I agree with them, but it's important to note that these people, where they come from, and who belongs to the Federal Society? Well, let's see. Supreme Court Justices Clarence Thomas belongs to it. Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch belongs to it. Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito belongs to it. Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett belongs to it. And all around, good guy and good party animal... Matt Kavanaugh belongs to it. Plus, plus, 45 of 51 federal judges appointed by Donald Trump belong to the conservative federal society. They are the bench for the bench. Mm -hmm. If you want to know the truth, yeah, just pull them off the bench and put them on the federal bench. Put them off the federal society, put them in this. And two of these people in this society say Trump their number one appointer of judges of all time cannot be president anymore. Your story. Feels bad when you're abandoned by your own, uh, the people who put in power, basically. Your own ideal laws say, we don't want this guy. He's (laughs) ruining our cause. He's making us unelectable for generations. Twice I say, Yeah, I almost want him to keep doing that. (laughs) Almost, almost. almost. It wouldn't be fair, though. He's ruined the party, but what's going to replace it? We don't know. Yeah, exactly. Worse things or better things? I don't know if I want to find out. We get DeSantis or Chris Christie, who's at least... (laughs) Yeah, Chris Christie. Sane? He's at least sane. Two clowns is what it sounds like. Okay. Yeah. Speaking of clowns, actually, I'm not sure if this is about clowns, but I guess you can be a clown if you're a murderer. This is from Cyprus, from Helena Smith in Athens. A British pensioner found not guilty of the premeditated murder of his cancer-stricken wife faces further legal proceedings and potentially jailed after Cyprus's highest legal authority appealed against the decision of a district court to allow him to walk free. 
In a shock move initiated at the 11th hour, the Office of the Island's Attorney General announced on Thursday it would appeal against the sentence and acquittal of David Hunter. The decision means a 76-year-old former minor held on remand for 19 months must now face a higher court, the judgment, judgment of which could overturn his acquittal, his lawyer told The Guardian. We all thought that David's ordeal in Cyprus was over last week when he was released from court with a two-year sentence, said Michael Polek, whose legal aid group, Justice Abroad, coordinated the Britain's step defense. Now we need to continue fighting the case for him, both on his acquittal for premeditated murder and sentence for manslaughter. In an orthodox Christian nation where euthanasia is outlawed, Hunter's case had become a cause of celebre. The retiree, who did not deny asphyxiating his wife Janice, but also argued that he had done so only after she begged him to relieve her of the pain of advanced leukemia, appeared increasingly frail during a judicial drama by turns harrowing and prolonged. We are obviously very disappointed with the Attorney General's decision to appeal today, which gets in the way of David getting on with his life, said Pollock. He has spent 19 months in prison and faced legal proceedings over that period that would be difficult for anyone, but especially for someone of his age. Cypriot prosecutors had 10 days to serve notice. On Thursday, the last day on the appeal could be filed, they announced there was sufficient legal grounds to challenge the decision of the three-member district court in Paphos. On 21 of July, the court had found Hunter guilty of manslaughter, but not of premeditated murder, which carries a mandatory life sentence. The judgment in two-year sentence delivered 10 days later ultimately allowed him to walk free given the prison time he had already served. Announcing that the court's reasoning for the verdict, the judge, Michaelis Drausiotis, had described it as a unique case of taking human life on the basis of feeling of love. Throughout Hunter's daughter, Leslie Cawthorn, had stood by her father, saying for several weeks he had refused to succumb to her terminally ill mother's pleas. On Thursday, Cawthorn said the Attorney General's decision had devastated her family. Hunter had, in the days since his release, set about starting a new life in Tremithausa, the village outside Paphos where Janice is buried and where on the night of December 18, 2021, he had killed her to save her in the couple's rented masionette. So this is a complicated decision. Right, I think there is an argument somewhere. Maybe you could have just taken her to, to her, her, taken her to a hospital. But like they said, it's not legal in the country to do voluntary euthanasia. So when, if, even if a doctor agreed, right, to kind of quote unquote take her down easy or whatever, give her some Motrin and just let her pass away, they could have also been charged with the premeditated murder of her right as doctors so they don't have a yeah it's a tough one uh you can talk about what he should have done all you want but at the end of the day he did what he was asked to do basically Mm -hmm. and he's being punished for that he was mercy killing and mercy killing yeah in the u.s i don't know if you remember dr kevorkian but yeah Kevorkian became famous for being a euthanasia doctor. And, yeah. Uh, went to jail quite a few times. Every time he assisted somebody humanely, he went to jail every time. Yeah, and like they signed a, a paper, actually, they gave him liability and everything, and he, it was still, hey, you murdered that guy. Yeah. He's not around anymore because, of course, he was very old, <laughs> close to death himself. So he's mm-hmm. like, well, I'm pretty sure that's how he went, too. He was terminally ill, and he said, okay, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> Dr. Gaborkin, 
Um, again, people very divided on them. There's the Christians that think you're don't you're playing God. Yeah. Which yeah, you are. I remember. You're God. <laughs> I know. I watched a Korean film <laughs> a, about this where a character uh, was arrested for basically she was a she was not a doctor but she was like a carer right mm-hmm. he cares for people and her mother was dying and she just said here take these pills that will kill you and then they were like hey you murdered your mother you murdered her and she got arrested and it's just like she asked me to give her these things to kill her so that she could move on you know yeah it's these too bad. living wills they're all for the living people to yeah. say well you know this is costing me a shitload of money in hospital care <laughs> and that potted plant is more better company and uh you know not to be yeah. cruel <laughs> but god damn somebody's getting rich off this you know yeah so yeah i definitely get it but uh yeah and, and again it's like why do you want to watch me suffer for eight years you know is it in a bed you, you get your yeah, rocks off doing that visiting me here you know maybe some people do well at least got you in one place i can visit you all the time i love talking I to know. you like you're a wall it's my favorite hobby yep uh it's a tough one man it's a tough one and right, your next again, story it is playing it is playing god yeah so there. <laughs> it is playing god if there is a god, that's what kind of what he does. That's his shtick, you know. Hey, who's out there killing people? That's my shtick. <laughs> who's out there Speaking killing people? Speaking of people playing god, Clarence Thomas will not continue to stay in the news. The guy who, weirdly, strangely, is like the single vote in a lot of weird things. Like, oh yeah, Donald Trump, even though he's not president anymore, has uh, presidential rights. No, he doesn't. But Clarence Thomas thinks he does because his wife's a lunatic. Okay, enough editorial- <laughs> editorial- editorializing. Here's a story from NPR. Associate Justice Clarence Thomas accepted more vacations and gifts from billionaire benefactors than previously reported according to a new report by ProPublica our favorite our favorite news organization this guy's gonna have a, like a record of most reports made on a judge a federal oh judge. ProPublica is on it yeah the conservative one <laughs> The conservative justice who has come under scrutiny for his failure to disclose such gifts took at least 38 vacations, 26 private jet flights, but I don't think I've touched a private jet 26 times, you know, (laughs) eight flights by a helicopter, a dozen VIP, I'm sorry, I've been to a lot of airfields, so I'm saying this, like 100 airfields in my life, I probably, I don't think I've touched 26 private jets. Eight flights by helicopter. I've probably made eight flights by helicopter, though. A dozen VIP passes to sporting events, as well as stays at luxury resorts in Florida and Jamaica. The nonprofit news site reports. ProPublica notes that Thomas appears to have broken the law by failing to disclose flights, cruises, and sports tickets. The report is the latest revelation about the justice that has brought into the spotlight the Supreme Court justice and ethics rules they are supposed to follow. ProPublica previously revealed that Harlan Crow, a Texas billionaire, paid for Thomas's vacation at his mother's house, a nephew's tuition payment separately. The New York Times reported that Thomas received special treatment from the members of the Ratio Alger Association, including David Sokol, a former Berkshire Hathaway executive, and H. Wayne Huizinga. I remember him. He's still on the sports team. I think he owned a golf mm. ProPublica reported that Paul Tony Novelli, 
The oil baron is a previously unnamed benefactor of the justice. The total value of the undisclosed trips Thomas has received from these men since 1999-1991, when he was appointed to the Supreme Court, is likely in the millions, the New York the news site said. I just want to repeat that all of these justices were required to fill out a ethics form, like a, a disclosure form recently, and seven of them returned the form and two of them didn't. And they are Samuel Alito and Clarence Thomas did not return their forms. What are they hiding? Well, we know what Thomas is hiding, because <laughs> here it is. Neither Thomas nor Nobelli responded to ProPublica's questions for its report. Isenga died in 2018. See that? Old people die. Yeah. Rich, yeah. Wealth does not prevent death. Right? Prolong your life, but it ain't gonna stop death. In a statement, Sokol said, though he hosted the Thomases, they have never once discussed any pending court matter. That's irrelevant. It is irrelevant. He did not disclose the money. It is irrelevant what he discussed. Why don't these people understand this part? You know, I robbed the bank, but I was gonna use the money for good things. Don't you understand? <laughs> Thomas isn't the only justice to come under such scrutiny. ProPublica reported in June that Justice Sam, Sam Alito, the other guy who wasn't turned in his uh, little disclosure form, went on a fishing trip to Alaska with a hedge fund billionaire, Paul Singer, Republican donor, as cases before the Supreme Court. Alito traveled to the remote Alaska site on Singer's private jet, along with Leonard Leo, a longtime leader of the conservative Federalist Society, who helped organize the trip in a salmon fishing lodge that they all stayed at was owned at the time by another big Republican donor, Robin Arkley II, who footed the bill for Alito's lodging. Alito did not subsequently recuse himself from a case involving Singer's legal interest before the court. Legal experts have said that the justice should have disclosed the free trips like these. Well, like everybody else in government has to do and like every federal judge is required to do. Yeah. Just wanted to point out the Supreme Court does not have ethics rules. The Supreme Court has ethics rules for all federal courts except themselves. The statute the itself is. is clear. Yeah. yeah. We're above the law. That's what they're telling us. The statute itself is clear that justice can be very harsh on litigants who fail to follow statutory language. Amanda Frost, University of Virginia professor, told NPR and Joe, so I think they should hold themselves to the same standard. Imagine being Imagine being before the Supreme Court and Samuel Alito or Clarence Thomas is lecturing you on the finer points of the language of the laws that they refuse to follow. In April, Thomas issued a statement declaring that when he first came in the court in 1991, he advised that his colleagues and others that he didn't have to disclose the hospitality from personal friends. That understanding has been corrected, he said, and he would, in the future, disclose... I don't even understand what that even fucking means. <laughs> How are you a Supreme Court justice and you don't understand the law? Magic. In April... Listen to this. In April, Thomas issued a statement declaring that when he first came to the court, he was advised as by his colleagues and others that he didn't have to disclose hospitality from personal friends. What? Everybody's your personal friend then, aren't they? Yeah. Good God, what a criminal. Polls show that Americans of all political stripes are increasingly troubled by the lack of code of ethics in the high court of high court. Chief Justice John Roberts has more than once said the court is working on an ethics code for itself, but so far has <laughs> one has failed to materialize. This is not an ethics code. 
violation. It is a disclosure violation, right? Yeah. It's not up to you, the person taking the bribe, to decide whether the bribe is proper or not. It is up to you just to report the bribe. You got a bribe, report the bribe. Whether it's ethically or not is irrelevant. Yeah. You still report it. I cannot get over how these people are on a board that decides the rights and the lives of other people and they cannot be removed. They're there for life. Yeah. Mind-bogglingly horrible government agency, the Supreme Court. All right, I'm stopped. Your story. Before your blood pressure rises and you freaking no, I ran blow your top. That was it. Yeah. That was the end of the story, legitimately. It's just, yeah. I can't get over how corrupt they can be in the open and get away yeah. with it. Meanwhile, Al Franken had to resign. Now, what did he do? Hmm. He was a comedian and he made jokes. All right. <laughs> That's why he had to resign. He had a past. How dare he have a past? He took a picture. He should have erased everyone's memory of yeah. his past so that they wouldn't yeah. be able to bring I, it up. I want to review why Al Franken had to resign from the Senate. There was a picture that surfaced from him when he was touring with the USO. Of uh, He was posing with a this, uh, I think it was a Miss USA. Someone yeah. who was there to look pretty, basically. And he was tr- like funny picture like while she was sleeping like not even touching her like like in the picture you know and he's like oh that's creepy i was like yeah it was a comedy it was a gag it was a gag a comedy gag he's a comedian and again he had to he had to resign for the senate for that uh yeah okay we have ethics in the supreme court no we don't yeah but every, I, every 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 Democrat's got to be by the rules. Every Republican doesn't have rules all. Yeah. At all. Those that's rules are for those guys over there. Yeah, that's the way it is. I mean, Nobody's, it's really interesting nobody. to think that sports games, yeah. right? Sports games are anything useful to your 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 job as a justice. I got invited to a baseball game. Okay, cool. What does that have to do with you being a justice? Like. Well, what's going job. on here? It's obviously a bribe because it has nothing to do mm-hmm. with your job. Like They're I could friends. argue, oh, that airplane was to help me get to somewhere, or that helicopter was to help me get somewhere. Okay, what does a baseball have to do with your job? Nothing. <laughs> it's and, only well, a bribe. I, I could go in depth, but there's been other people cover this. And you want to read about it? Uh, yeah. Larry Sons became a lawyer to get rich. He became a lawyer to get rich. And when he got appointed to a federal bench, he was like, yeah, I'll do this. But I'm going to bail as soon as it gets uh, lucrative, right? But then he got appointed to the Supreme Court, and he was like, oh, boy, how do I make money now? They only make $137,000 a year. And then he's like, oh, yeah, I can take bribes. All right, you're I Make enough money. Oh, no. He I is live comfortably, but I want to live luxuriously. And his wife was texting people actively during an insurrection. His wife. Oh, they never discussed that stuff. Oh, really? <laughs> what a marriage you must have. Famous okay. sexual harasser. I mean, the first thing we knew about Clarence Thomas is that he was a sexual harasser. And we know that because, because, um, I don't, you know what? I can't think of her name right now, but I don't want to sully her name. But she accused, she accused him of it under oath. Went on TV under oath and accused him of it. Didn't just say it. She was a lawyer herself. And they, 
the the Judiciary Committee, including Joe Biden, said, oh yeah, Clarence Thomas is, didn't do any of that stuff. We believe him. He basically them. said, cool story, bro. Okay, anyways. Well, famously, Clarence Thomas, this is, this is another ironic part. George, the first George Bush appointed him, right? And George Bush was like, I hate quotas, 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 because that's what they're trying to get rid of affirmative action quotas, right? Yeah. So what happens? Thurgood Marshall, the first black justice, resigns from the Supreme Court for ill health, and he replaces him with a quota, another black justice. What yeah. a hypocrite. Yeah, it's like, and, and the worst one he could find, too. <laughs> the worst the worst when he Obviously, politics aside, he's a criminal. He's taking stuff from other people that did rich yeah. people. Hey, Clarence, can I take you on a fishing trip? Are you rich? Nope. Okay, I'm not going. I'm not going unless you have down. a yacht. I'm not. How many interested. poor friends does Clarence Thomas have? Let's let's head now. How many yeah. poor friends does he have? Okay, you're you're sorry. Not even a friend from high school. Okay. I don't even mean I don't mean family neither. That ain't yeah. friends. All right. All right, news out of Sweden. This is from Miranda Bryant in Stockholm. Environmental experts have criticized the Swedish government's plan to build at least 10 nuclear reactors in the next 20 years. Wow, that's really fast. More than doubling the current number, saying it will be too expensive and will come too late to meet energy needs. The climate minister, Romina Kormokatari announced on Wednesday that in order to meet its climate goals, Sweden needed to double electricity production in the next two decades. The plan for 10 new reactors would mark a dramatic change from the country's current capacity for nuclear power, with six reactors in operation in Horsmark, Oskarsham, and Ringels, accounting for about 30% of its electricity production. Lars Dale J. Nilsson, a professor of, at Lund University and a member of the European Climate Advisory Board, said he disputed the government's claim that the new reactors were needed and dismissed the move as symbolic. You can certainly say that we need 10 new reactors. Right now, the expansion of electricity production in Sweden is through wind power, he told The Guardian. I don't expect any new nuclear power in Sweden unless the government provides quite far-reaching guarantees similar to what you have in Hinkley Point in the UK. The move was more about the posturing, more about posturing than action, he said, claiming the government wanted to show it was taking action on meeting its climate goals. I see it more symbolic than actual creating any real change. If the reactors were built, the costs were likely to fall heavily on the Swedish taxpayer, said Nilsson. Having been a hotly debated issue in the past, this latest announcement has had a lukewarm response. Sweden's reputation as a green leader on the global stage was shifting, he said. Sweden will partly lose that profile. The momentum and progressiveness is coming from the EU and Brussels. Reminder, Sweden is not part of the EU. Sweden's reputation as a green leader on the global stage... Oh, wait, sorry. I already read that. The EU's fit for 55 plan legally required member states to reduce emissions by at least 55% by 2030 and become the climate neutral by 2050. Sweden's moderates agreed when they formed a coalition government with the Christian Democrats, liberals, and the far right Sweden Democrats the, that more reactors would be permitted and that investments in nuclear power would be made profitable through credit guarantees and changing to pricing. The week, this week was the first time the government had given an anticipated number of new reactors. Since day one, this 
The government has worked full force to remove the obstacles erected to prevent new nuclear power, said Pormo Katari, a liberal who, when she assumed the post last year, became the country's youngest ever minister. The climate transition requires a doubling of electricity production in the next 20 years, and nuclear power plays a decisive role for us to succeed in this. Powerin Lexin, the Secretary General of Nature Skids Guides for Ningen, Sweden's biggest environmental organization, accused the government of attempting to divert focus on climate issues. They're diverting focus from what is really needed currently, which is to produce enough electricity by 2030. The plan also ignored the progresses being made on new methods of storing energy and other developments, she said. We don't agree with the energy minister when she said in order to build more wind power, we need more nuclear. We think it's a bit old-fashioned. So, yeah, uh, we'll see what happens with that. I mean, I kind of want to believe what the professor was saying mm-hmm. from London University, Lars Nilsson, who said, ah, they're just saying they're going to build a bunch of nuclear reactors so that people think they're doing something, but there's no way they're going to be able to afford to build 10. Maybe they can build one or two, you know? <laughs> build 10 oh. in 20 years is crazy to me. I swear it must take like five years to build one. Would they build one at a time until completion and start the next one, or would they simultaneously build them all? That feels crazy. That sounds cr- like how they're affording that. That's crazy. I think simultaneously build them all is more economical in the long run because you're at the same stage and you can like have you know that engineer go to that site and it just you know one 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 site's slightly ahead of the next one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway. I just feel like that's a lot of people, a lot of different companies that you have to hire, right? You have to hire 10 companies to basically build 10 reactors at the same time. Are there even that many countries? Jobs, jobs, jobs. You're going to have to import from different places, right? You're not going to be just doing it from, you know, somebody from Japan, somebody from the Middle East. There's all sorts of places, a whole... Teams of people to build 10 reactors in, t- in 20 Welcome years. Welcome to the United States problem because it's, well, I'm sure it's similar in a lot of countries. You can't get construction workers. There's not enough in the country. So that's like Florida decided to crack down on illegal immigration and then, then all the building sites just shut down overnight because yeah. <laughs> who are you going to hire? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's here. <laughs> we had to stop. We have nobody to do the manual labor. Yeah. Okay, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna tidy up a few stories from the remainder of the week in the Friday news dump. Latin America, Ecuador arrests six Colombians in slaying a presidential candidate. Lorena Valenzuela's sister, Vala Vincencio, sister of slain presidential candidate Fernando Valenzuela. Oh, that's a picture. I'm, I'm describing a picture. I was reading a caption. Sorry. <laughs> Six Colombian men were arrested Thursday in connection with the fatal shooting of Fernando Vala Vicencio a day earlier in the capital. He was not a front runner in the race, but his assassination brought in broad daylight less than two weeks before the special presidential election underscored the challenges Vexor's next leader will face in any attempt to curb gangs and cartels. Activities playing styles of lives. Report of the men's arrest reviewed by the Associated Press showed the men were captured hiding in a house in Quito. Law enforcement 
officers, according to the report, seized four shotguns, a 5.56 millimeter rifle, ammunition, and three grenades, as well as vehicle and motorcycle. So we don't have their names, but six men are in custody. Catching up on the Maui wildfires, the death toll is now 55. The death toll from the devastating wildfires on the island of Maui, Hawaii, is now climbing to 55, as officials warned the loss of life expected to rise further as the entire city was completely engulfed in flames and almost all buildings were destroyed. And back to our tensions rising in Niger and our third story that we're going to update. Tensions are escalating between Niger. This is from Associated Press, Sam Mednick. Tensions are escalating between Niger's new military regime and the West African regional bloc that has ordered the deployment of troops to restore Niger's failing democracy. The ECOWAS bloc, and that's a big long acronym, said on Thursday it, it had directed a standby force to restore constitutional order in Niger after its Sunday deadline to reinstate ousted President Mohamed Bazoum expired. Hours earlier, two Western officials told the Associated Press that Niger Junta had told a top U.S. diplomat that they would kill Bazoum, Bazoum if neighboring countries attempted any military intervention to restore his rule. It's unclear when or where the force will deploy and which country from the 15-member bloc would contribute to it. Conflict experts say it would be likely to compromise some 5,000 troops led by Nigeria and could be ready within weeks. After ECOWAS meeting, neighboring Ivory Coast President Alassani Altara said his country would take part in the military operation along with Nigeria and Benin. Ivory Coast will provide battalion and has made all the financial arrangements. We are determined to install Bazoum in his position. Our objective is peace and stability in the sub-region. Oatara said in a state in, on state television. Niger, an impoverished country of some 25 million people, was seen as one of the last hopes for Western nations to partner with an beating back a jihadi insurgency-led Linked to, linked to Al-Qaeda and the Islamic State group that's ravaged more the region. France and the United States have more than 2,500 military personnel in Niger and together with other European partners has poured hundreds of million dollars into propping up its military. The junta responsible for spearheading the coup led by General Abdaharmani Chiani has exploited anti-French sentiment among the population to shore up his support. Nigerians in the capital, Naomi, on Friday said ECOWAS isn't in touch with the reality on the ground and shouldn't intervene. It's our business, not theirs. They don't even know the reason why the coup happened in Niger, said Achiro Hurano Albasi, a resident. Bazom was not abiding by the will of the people, he said. On Friday, African Union expressed strong support for ECOWAS' decision and called on the junta to urgently halt the escalation with regional organization. With the regional organization, it has also called for the immediate release of Bazoum. The African Union is expected to meet on Saturday to discuss the situation in Niger. On Thursday night, after the summit, French's foreign minister said it was supported all conclusions adopted 
all conclusions adopted. U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said his country appreciated the determination of ECOWAS to support to explore all options for the peaceful resolution of the crisis and would hold the junta accountable for the safety and security of President Bazoum. However, he did not specify whether the U.S. supported the deployment of troops. So here we are in a standoff in Niger with the African nations that surround it, trying to keep a peaceful solution before it explodes into all-out civil war. Your story. All right. In another weird thing about nudity <laughs> in our culture news today, why Jennifer Lawrence and Scarlett Johannes are stripping off on screen. Oh boy. This is from Anne Lee on The Guardian. After years of chase superhero movies dominating the box office and frequent laments of the death of the sex scene, full frontal nudity is making a comeback on screen in a crop of summer comedies, with female stars daring to bear all for laughs. In Adele Lim's new Asian-led comedy Joyride, which channels the raucous spirit of bridesmaids, there is a gasp-out-loud scene in which Stephanie Hughes... Hughes? 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 I can't say it. I give up. <laughs> Character Cat, a soap opera star, has her skirt whipped off at the end of the dance sequence to reveal a lurid devil tattoo on her vulva. It is an outrageous stunt that is hilariously cringeworthy. Though, she has been keen to point out that the body double was used to make sure my mother gets the memo, she told Elle. Scarlett Johansson also has a blink and you could miss it nude scene in Asteroid City, Wes Anderson's latest comedy, playing on... The actor named Midge, she drops her towel while practicing some lines. As love interest Augie, Jason Schwartzman, watches dumbstruck from his cabin. There is a charged frizzin, frizzin of romance between them, but as this is an Anderson film, it is a moment more concerned with aesthetics, a tasteful shot in full-length mirror, than raging lust. Jennifer Lawrence strips off in the sex comedy No Hard Feelings, in which she plays a broke 32-year-old Maddie employed to seduce an awkward 19-year-old. The pair go skinny dipping before they are interrupted by some gobby teens who steal their clothes for a laugh. Lawrence gives chase and starts to fight them, her Hunger Games training in full evidence, as well as completely naked. She even gets punched in the groin for her troubles. Ooh, that does not sound pleasant. Why is explicit nudity, nudity creeping back into our screens? Movies are trying to bring back joy and fun after the COVID years, says Kristen Lopez critic for film and editor for The Wrap. I think we're seeing this response to the last few years of sadness and trauma. What's the best way to do that? To bring back frivolity and nudity. Nudity, of course, has never strayed too far from the big screen, with more women than men getting naked. A 2019 study looked at 2018's top 100 films of the U.S. box office and found that 23.7% of female characters took their clothes off, compared with the 8.5% of men. When in a post-Me Too landscape, it seems as if nudity is less about the desire and more about the laughs. Throughout history, nude. we've had female figures who had been deeply sexualized, objectified, and made into accessories for male leading stars, says Daisy Richards, a lecturer in media and communications at Nottingham Trent University. So to have these female stars, vehicles in which they perform, the performers are nude, but it's not supposed to be sexy, kind of pushes the boundaries of the female body. The more we desexualize female bodies, the more we see them as a tool, a thing that we can have and can use for various purposes, not just as objects. You are vehemently disagreeing with this. 
I'm sorry, I'm confused. When is a woman considered naked when she's topless? I I think I think they're talking about full frontal nudity, so including their uh, pants off. Okay. I guarantee you, men are topless way more than women, right? But women, when they're topless, are considered to be naked. Yes. So we have a double standard. So I'm sorry, men are topless way more than women and way more things, and it's not even unacceptable. Yeah. Hell, watch a swimming competition. The men are wearing almost nothing, almost nothing. Women are wearing a full body bathing suit. Men's nudity is totally accepted. So I am arguing with this premise that women, it's completely the opposite. Men are naked all the time. We accept it. Go ahead, sorry. Okay. Except I think, for I the think they're specifically bits. talking about genet genitalia, I think. Genitalia is always, always excluded. But, and it always has been for both. So well, I think that's it. The argument, I think, I think the argument that I can agree with, with you on this is that female nudity, when it comes to your genitalia, is much less noticeable, right? Sure, there's some hair, right? But it's not like you have a whole thing going on, right? You don't right. have. I've seen more. A whole I've seen more two parter, freaking. What do you call it? The, the eggplant in the freaking eggs, you know? You don't have that going <laughs> on with female bodies. Female bodies are just kind of flat <laughs> with a curve. You know, as maybe a there's a capital there, but there's nothing much to see. Yeah. As a matter of fact. I'm anecdotal evidence only, not scientific. I have definitely seen more Beans and Franks than I've seen hoo-hahs in movies, and it's not even yeah. close. So I'm not sure where this person who you're, you're quoting is thinking that women are more exposed than men. It's the opposite. It's completely the opposite. Sorry, your story. I'm well, it's opposite that. in a different way, right? It's opposite in the fact that people, it's like opposite. you said, people consider the female breasts to be nudity. So if they're going to do Everybody that, they should that. assume male breasts exactly. to be nudity, but they don't exactly. do that because it's a double standard. Exactly. exactly. The double standard is the opposite of what this person is saying. The opposite is true. Men are nude far more often. We can show almost 100% of our bodies and it's not like, oh my God, put that man's breasts away. But Janice Jackson's uh, areola shows up. Oh my God, blind <laughs> me. People are going to get surgically blinded the next day just so they never have to see another one. I've seen skin that's darker than the rest of the skin. Oh my God. Okay. Ever arrested, ever whipped in the public square. Yeah. <laughs> Throw mud We're at talking her. about Cover her up. Puritans are not reasonable people. Let's not use them as a standard, please. Yeah. Okay. To continue with the article, though, we'll okay. listen to our point. All right. The Me Too movement has had a huge impact on the amount of nudity and sex we see and don't see in the cinema, says Christy Guevara Flanagan, the director of Body Parts, a documentary about how the female body has been treated on screen. Although there are no stricter rules over the way nudity and sex scenes are shot, with the rise of intimacy coordinators and tighter nudity clauses in actors' contracts, many directors have been avoiding those scenes altogether. People were stepping away from the explicitness in film right after Me Too because of fears of being accused of a coercion, she says. Yeah, get naked and have sex with this guy on screen for the art. For the art! Oh, you're not an actor? Are you not a true actor? If you're not having sex on screen, so they're just like, fuck it, we're just not gonna have sex scenes anymore because then we don't have sex to worry scenes. about somebody going, they ruin movies I was scared anymore. I would get fired if I didn't have sex with that guy on screen. 
sex scenes in movies are there for me to fast forward through them. Yeah, I exactly. Watch porn, I'll watch porn, okay? The pandemic complicated things further with actors physically unable to kiss on film close to each other. The pendulum swung to one extreme and now it's coming back towards the center. It could also be down to the audience's assumptions post-Me Too, says Richards. What are we seeing is people expecting that there will be less nudity, because somehow nudity is problematic, which is not necessarily. So when we get full frontal nudity, we're thinking, oh, this is still happening? But it has been happening in lots of different ways. Steering away from sex scenes and sticking with nudity means it's easier for studios to escape the USR rating whereby children under 17 have to be accompanied by a parent or guardian, thus giving a film a much wider audience. Asteroid City was initially rated R by the Motion Picture Association, MPA, for Joh- Johannesson's brief graphic nud- nudity graphic, they say, but was downgraded to PG-13 after Anderson appealed. It's not known why the MPA relented, but there is a speculation that it was down to the nudity being non-sexual. That's right, it is possible to be naked and to not freaking think that sex is happening. The R rating, as set out in organization guideline, is specifically for sexually oriented nudity. The fact that she was just looking at herself in the mirror does not make it sex, okay? She didn't touch herself, it was just looking at herself in the mirror. Johannesson and Lawrence have both acted in nude scenes before, but as two of the most bankable female stars in Hollywood, they certainly won't need to do any nudity to further their careers. Exactly. Promoting we'll Astrid City, City Johannesson laughed about how uncomfortable Anderson was while filming her nude scene, the implication being that she was relaxed about it herself. Lawrence has also talked in past about how empowering her nude scenes were in the 2018 spy thriller Red Sparrow. I actually really loved that movie. That was that, indeed a very thrilling movie. After naked photos of hers were leaked on the 2014 celebrity hacking scandal for her no hard feelings nude fight scene, I didn't even have a second thought, she told Variety. It was hilarious to me. Sue has similarly stressed how comfortable Lim and the team behind Joy Ryan made her feel about the vulva tattoo reveal. The message for the three women is clear. Any nudity is strictly their own choice, even if they use a body double. There is an attempt by women to reclaim ownership of their bodies and make nudity a part of it. Yes, I am one of these women who are trying to reclaim ownership. <laughs> At the same time, it's still putting the burden on women, so not really seeing nudity in equal measures for men. What Lopez would like to see is what she calls equal opportunity nudity. Although this could be a challenge, the biggest taboo is male full frontal nudity. Male full frontal nudity is usually reserved for art house cinema. Think the dreamers, shame. Much of Ewan McGregor's earlier work. Life I had no idea Ewan McGregor Life was tossing Brian. out his dick on film. I need to see these movies as soon as possible. Life of Brian, the funniest movie ever. Full frontal male nudity. Risky comedians, Lim told Hollywood Reporter that Joe Wright's full frontal scenes was a nice pivot from seeing so much penis in films such as Hangover. <laughs> see, he's agreeing that he sees a lot of penises, but not a lot, a lot of vulva. He's saying he doesn't see enough vulva in his films. Pubic hair don't count. Don't go there. <laughs> that's what I'm trying to say, right? Yeah. The vulva does not have like such a shocking image. It is literally just pubic hair. And maybe some skin flaps at the bottom. If and that's you're like, only in Europe anyway, because yeah. Americans all shave their pubic hair. Yeah, because they like they're like pedophiles. I don't fucking know. That's just weird. Let's not go on that. You know what? The TV industry oh, seems listen. happily embracing prosthetic penises in shows such as Pam and Tammy, Euphoria, and Meeks. As Christopher Nolan's atomic bomb epic Oppenheimer showed in an awkward post-coital scene with J. Robert Oppenheimer, Cillian Murphy, and his on-off lover, Gene Tar- Tatlock, 
Florence Pugh, sitting in opposite chairs, both naked with legs firmly closed, male nudity can often be much less revealing than female nudity. It's not as overt, says Lopez. For anyone keen to see a film that redresses the imbalance, Eric Sachs' passages, a seductive, astute drama about messy relationships and even messier feelings, starring Franz Rogowski, Van Wishaw, and Adele Exarchopoulos, is being released in the UK cinemas next month. So there's your ad, I guess, for that film. Uh, male or female nudity isn't inherently sexual, but shown on screen, naked bodies can represent many things, or nothing at all. Just another unremarkable part of our everyday lives. Nudity can be funny, it can be sexy, it can be dramatic, says Lopez. I'm all for expanding it out. Maybe we'll see the rise of non-sexy nudity. Making, make bodies just bodies. If anything, I think that may actually eliminate the stigma. If bodies are just shown here and there as they are, and they're not that interesting. I think it's great for Hollywood to be tackling this issue because they're really the last one <laughs> to be doing it. Everyone else in the film, Bollywood probably does it. Freaking Korean cinema. I, actually, Korean cinema probably doesn't do it. I don't know if I've seen it's any new scenes in Korean It's there Korean, to but. get money out of your wallet, and that's yeah. all it's there for. And let's pretend it's art. Okay, whatever, it's art. <laughs> Yeah. And no, it should, the point is it means nothing. They're naked. That, Who cares? That's what they're gratuitous. aiming for here. It's almost always gratuitous. Almost always. Okay. It has nothing to do with the story. It just doesn't. Just like the sex scenes. We don't care. We don't want to. We don't watch the. I don't. Need, I don't. Need, I, don't need, I don't want my characters ever having sex ever at all. I don't want that part of the. <laughs> they story. are really Barbie. Don't. They're Ken dolls to me. Yeah, it just it subtracts from the story. You can tell me they they can show waves crashing on the beach or a train going onto a tunnel or something. I don't want to see nothing. I'm sorry, is your story done? Yep, that's it. We can go oh, into this day in history. I always it's a really to long story because we kind of discussed it. <laughs> graphic nudity is the silliest uh, phrase in the world. Graphic nudity? It's just nudity. You're the neuter, you're not. How can it be graphic? Unless you got a graph on your body. I think it'd be graphic I, I, nudity. For me, graphic Look, nudity is this has become a porno. That's graphic nudity. Oh, we're, this is a porn. Okay, no, that's, that's, that's graphic. That's strong sexual content. Graphic yeah. nudity doesn't seem like it even is anything. It's like nudity or not nudity, you know? Um, unless you have a graph on your body. Other than that. All right. In 1919, in this date history, the Weimar Constitution was formally declared, establishing Germany as a republic. In 1921, Alex Haley, famous writer of Roots and the Autobiography of Malcolm X, was born in Ithaca, New York on this day. In 1924, the first U.S. newsreel of a presidential candidates, which included footage of Calvin Coolidge, John W. Davis, and Robert La Follette, was filmed. Excuse me. In the game, in 1929, the game against the Cleveland Indians, Babe Ruth of the New York Yankees did his 500th career home run became the first baseball player to reach that milestone. In 1942, American actress Hedy Lamarr and composer George Attil received a patent for the electronic device that minimized the jamming of radio sisters. It later became component of satellite and cellular phone technology. It's oversimplification. She, inf she invented frequency hopping. In other words, you don't stay in the same frequency as your transmit because that way you can't get jammed because the enemy does not know what frequency you're on. You've changed. She invented that. Speaking of nudity, Hedy Lamarr famously nude in cinema back in the 30s. 
in a movie called The Sex Maniac, as a matter of fact. Sex 1964. Maniac, yeah. yeah. 1964, The Beatles' first feature film, A Hard Day's Night, had its U.S. premiere in New York City released during the height of Beatlemania, is now widely considered a classic. In 1965, race riots erupted in Watts, District of Los Angeles, resulting in the deaths of 34 people. In 1984, at the Olympic Games in Los Angeles, Carl Lewis became the third track and field athlete to win four gold medals in one Olympics, joining fellow Americans Alvin Prasoline in 1900 and Jesse Owens in 1936. In 1994, Major League Baseball Association began a labor strike following the games on August 11th, and the dispute eventually led to a cancellation of the remainder of the season, including the World Series, and turned me off of baseball for probably, I don't know, 15 years. Huh, who cares? We had a summer without baseball and nobody noticed. Oh well, you know, that's basically <laughs> what happened. No one noticed. Oh, he's serious. It hurt the people that, you know, the, the, the players hurt them. 2014, American comedian actor Robin Williams committed suicide on this day. In 1956, in our featured event, Jackson Pollock killed an automobile accident. American painter Jackson Pollock, a leading ex exponent of abstract expressionism, who received great fame and serious recognition for his radical poured R drip technique, died on this day in 1956 in an autom automobile accident. And famous birthdays, born on August 11, 1943, was per. Pervez Mushri Sharaf, president of Pakistan. So happy birthday to him. 1965, Viola Davis, American actress, was born. It's the birthday of David Brooks, who was born in 1961. He's an American journalist and commentator. 1950, Steve Wozniak, who you once worked for. American electronics engineer and founder, co-founder of Apple Computers, who was born in 1950. And Jerry Falwell, American minister, was born in 1933. And what day is it? Da, 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 da. It's National Presidential Joke Day. Hey, we can tell all our bad Trump jokes. Yeah, well, he's not the president anymore. But he was a president, can, well, which means we, we can, can rag tell him on about him. any president. That's true. There's a picture of Lincoln here. So if you got any good Lincoln, <laughs> Lincoln. jokes, let's hear them. It's Global Kinetic Sand Day. Kinetic Sand. Kinetic Sand. They're just showing people playing what look what looks like silly putty. So I don't know what's that. What's there? It's National Sons and Daughters Day. Hey, I'm there almost there. Everybody is one or the other. <laughs> Everyone is one or the other. At least what when they started. Non, what their are non-binary children called? That's. What I want to know. They're in between. They're in between. In between. Sons and daughters. As 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 the comedian used to say, ladies and gentlemen, and everybody in between. Well, it's accurate, right? Yeah. Used to be a joke. Now it's accurate. National presidential joy did that. Play in the sand day. So play in the sand day goes with the global kinetic sand day, I guess. And it's also National Raspberry Bombe Day. B O M B E. Mmm, uh, raspberry, huh? It's got raspberries in it. That's all you got to know. And that's all the days there is today. And that's all of the news that we want to cover. Way more than we should cover, but here we are covering it. The, the raspberry boom is a dessert that looks like it's like a it's like Jello. a cake with like a custard on it, like a raspberry custard maybe, like an ice cream. So there you go. It look, it look Ma like I'm Jello making that. 
the Someday. picture I got. We're gonna make we'll a raspberry bomb. <laughs> so work that into work that into That a sounds really bad. Joke. Okay. Anyways, this has been <laughs> Work it into a presidential joke and we'll drop it in the sand. From the Netherlands, uh, who I'm in a short while, I will be doing my daily yoga, so keep it posted there on Twitch if you're watching on Twitch, if you want to follow along and watch me torture myself doing yoga. Other than that, I hope you have a good morning or afternoon or evening, and we will see you next week. This is Roger for the United States, and I have the day off, so I'm not doing jack shit. <laughs> On August 11th, 2023 edition of Before Coffee. Be sure to hit the like, subscribe, and notify buttons, and follow our other channels. Toxic Alley. History of Gravy and Scratchy Old Records.